you are listening to Grit and Grace, where we encourage, uplift, and talk about the traumas and adversities that we and our guests have survived and how we overcame them. Welcome Mia, mom of three, author of Killing It Friday blog, cancer survivor, and designer of Angel Squad. Today, Mia will share her strength and hope as she overcame breast cancer. Yay. Thank you for that. That's kind of amazing. That again, that makes me feel a little bit, I don't know, more powerful than I am, but (laughs) maybe I'll dig into it a little bit and just kind of give you the background. And, um, uh, we were kind of talking before you just gave me that wonderful introduction that I, I guess I want to reiterate, like, I don't really feel like my story is by any means complete or nor is it perfect. It's just sort of my experiences. And, um, I guess the other thing to highlight is that, you know, as a breast cancer survivor, my story is mine. Every, everyone's stories are different just because I chose to do things one way doesn't make it the right way or the, you know, wrong way. It was my way. And I think that's really important because I felt like when I was first diagnosed, I should be doing certain things or acting a certain way or doing things. And I kind of got to the, came to the conclusion that I'm just going to do me. And by doing me, hopefully that'll resonate with some people and maybe help someone on their journey. But, um, yeah, so keep in mind, anything that I say that I did, that does not mean you have to do it. It's just how I, (laughs) how I do it. So, um, my journey really started, excuse me, three years ago. Um, I was kind of a backstory about six years ago, right after the birth of my youngest son, I start, I really got into running like long distance running. So like half marathons, 10 K stuff like that. And I still really enjoy that. Um, but I was, so I was in great shape, probably the best shape of my life, honestly. And I was getting ready to go for a run and I put on my sports bra. And as we know, that kind of pushes the girls down a little bit. So as I was like my, putting on my tank top, I am my hand brushed on the side of my left breast. And I felt this kind of hard, like spot over there. And I was like, okay, what's that? That's weird. Um, kind of, you know, felt around, digged around a little bit or dug around a little bit. And it, you know, I, it was new. I didn't know what it was, but it was kind of a significant size. I would say like a walnut size marking and kind of different, but I feel like in those moments, your mind goes like either one of two ways or both ways being like, oh, it's nothing. I'm fine. It'll go away to, oh my gosh, I'm dying. Like what is happening? Like the end of the world. Right. And then, and I kind of went both those ways. And then I found myself somewhere in the middle where I was like, okay, let's just see if it goes away or do I go in? I don't know. I was supposed to have my just yearly physical, which is the only thing I ever went to the doctor for like having babies in my yearly physical. That was it. Um, I was supposed to have that in January. And this was like the end of October or early October, something like that, where this happened. Um, so I was kind of giving it some time, like, let's give it a couple weeks, see what happens. When I wasn't wearing my sports bra, I really couldn't find it. Cause it was now that I know it was really deep in one of, um, I had invasive ductal carcinoma. So inside one of my milk ducts, like, you know, which was really like defeating. Cause I ner- breastfed three babies. Like why, were, why was my body like not <laughs> holding, you know, holding up this side of the bargain now? So that was really kind of a crazy, thing. but <laughs> anyway, <laughs> Um, but anyway, so it was, it was, it was a hard find, but, um, I gave it a couple weeks and I just thought, wait, why am I waiting on this? Why would I not, why would I wait two months to go see a doctor? So I called my OBGYN cause I was the only doctor I really had to talk to. I went in and she did an exam and she thought it's probably just a cyst. But, um, another part of the story was this was about two weeks before my 40th birthday. So I was 39, just about turned 40. So I joke when my friends would get nervous about their 40th birthdays. I'm like, 
I got cancer for mine. Yours will be okay. Like, you know, it's all good. Don't, nothing to stress about. I took the bad one. You can have a party. It's all fine, but totally sarcasm there. But, you know, um, <laughs> so anyway, so she's like, let's schedule your first mammogram. And I'm thinking, great, let's schedule the mammogram. So we went ahead and did that. I showed up that day by myself because I'm thinking that's, it's fine. There's no big deal. Let's just do it. Um, they also did an ultrasound that day, which because I had found something, I think that I knew that was going to happen. That wasn't a surprise, but what was surprising to me is, um, well, I guess, first of all, the mammogram for anyone that hasn't done one before, because I know leading up to the, that age of 40, you're kind of like, I don't want to do that. Like what? It's not that bad. <laughs> I went from one to about like seven of them in like two weeks. It's really not that bad. You, you, you can do it. It is life-saving. I'm not, you know, being very serious. So do your mammograms. I think that's, and your self exams in my case that saved my life. So I really think that's really important. But, um, when they were doing the ultrasound, it kind of went from, you know, how like a normal one goes, they're just like looking at stuff to like, they're stuck on one area. And they were really looking in my like left armpit area and kind of down my arm where my lymph nodes are. And it was just like, they'd call in the radiologist. It was just a lot of shuffling around. And in my mind, I'm like, this isn't normal. Like, this is not good. And before I left, as we were leaving, they said, you know what, we really want to go forth with a biopsy. And then the, I'll never forget the nurse then said, she said, and you know, you might want to think about having someone come with you to your next appointment. So wow. yeah, which wow. is like, I, you know, I, I probably needed to hear that because I am a very like, um, independent go-getter kind of a person. So of course, and I'm a busy mom, I'm going to handle whatever I can handle. Right. But to hear that was kind of like, I think at that moment, I kind of knew it was not good. I kind of, you know, i not to jump to conclusions, but it was just like, this is not normal. I went to that, the parking lot. Uh, I remember this vividly and I just started crying. And I, that's when I like called my mom, you know, I think my sister, everyone, I'm like, okay, this isn't great. So um, about a week later, I went in for the biopsy. The biopsy was, I mean, it went fine, but like, it was very traumatic. It was scary. Um, I cried the whole time, <laughs> um, whatever. I had to wait. Um, a, it was, I think that was like on a Thursday or something. And then obviously I had to do the test. I think it was, um, I had to wait through the weekend and it was Monday. Um, and I was, it was after school after I had picked up my daughter and I was taking her to her ballet class. And as I was driving, the phone rings and I see the number. I knew it was a doctor. I knew it was a doctor's office. I did not take it because my daughter was in the car with me. So I um, kind of told, I dropped her off. I drove actually over to the church, um, my church, which I had spent a lot of time <laughs> pleading to God and lighting candles and the whole bit to please take care of this for me. Uh, didn't, I mean, I won't say it didn't help, but it didn't miraculously <laughs> take care of it, obviously, but um, I parked the car and I called the number back and, um, the doctor told me that I had, um, it was cancer and it was estrogen and progesterone positive, um, invasive ductal carcinoma. Um, he went on to say that it was in my lymph nodes. They didn't know exactly how far it had spread or anything like that. And to be honest, I don't really remember the rest of the conversation. I remember you probably being super, Oh, thank you. Okay. You know, whatever, hanging up. And within minutes, um, my seriously, within minutes, my OBGYN called me on the phone, which how often do you get a doctor on the phone calling you directly? That was kind of weird, but, right. but also amazing. And she just said, okay, we're, it's okay. We're going to handle this. We had talked uh, the week before that if it were something she had asked me, where would I want to go for, you know, doctoring and help? And I said, I have no idea. I said, I just, I want to go whoever can help me, who can take care of it. I kind of knew where I didn't really feel comfortable 
but she suggested a team that she knew very well at Avera McKinnon in Sioux Falls, South Dakota. And I said, if that's good enough for you, I mean, she delivered two of my three babies. Yep. For perfect. So, um, I drove home, um, uh, don't even remember hanging that up from that one either, but drove home and, uh, didn't even pick up my boys from daycare yet. I just went to my house. I went into my bedroom, into the master bathroom. And I literally just like melted to the floor. Like I was sobbing. Um, I remember like, it sounds so dramatic, <laughs> which is not really me, but like, it just, what if this is the real raw part of it, you know, like I was on the floor sobbing. I was basically like trying to hold myself up. I remember, like, I can remember feeling the cold tile. I remember like just weird things like that. And in those moments, um, people were calling me and by people, I mean, doctors and nurses and people from this new team that I was going wow. to be meeting and they're setting up appointments. And I was just like, oh my gosh. And this part, and I've never shared this with anyone. So this is just for you guys. But I remember, um, I don't know, I don't even know, remember which office it was. Cause like I have a surgeon's office and oncologist's office. Like I got a whole bunch of people, but one of them called and was setting something up. I did not hang up. Like I thought I hung up the phone, you know, cause I was between sobs. I didn't. And I literally audibly said, over and over. I can't do this. I can't do this. I can't do this. My God, I can't do this. And I was, was going to make me cry. I, I was literally just falling apart. And I remember hearing whoever it was didn't hang up. And they just said, they said, we're here. You know, they said, you can do this. You can do this. And like, I've never shared that with anyone because it was kind of embarrassing that I left the phone on. <laughs> to be honest. I was like, I know I didn't want to hear me say that. Like, cause that's not the, that's not who I try to be, you know, that's not who I want to, my kids to see. I mean, not that they can't see weakness, but like, I just, you know, I did not have myself together. So I was really, you know, bottom, bottom out there. But um, anyway, so in the days to come, obviously we set up a whole bunch of appointments. Um, my first day going down to Sioux Falls, I had just a ton of um, tests. So more biopsies. I had an MRI. Um, the MRI, if you guys have ever had a breast MRI, it's really not fun. Um, you have to lay face down, or at least I did, I guess most people do. I don't, uh, face down in, I call it the tomb, you know, that MRI tomb, if you ever mm -hmm. had, like, you feel like you're just like totally enclosed. And I think the funny thing is uh, doctors and nurses would say like, well, do you need something? Like, are you like, do you get, you know, scared and confined places? I'm like, I don't know. I've never done this before. Like, so then the anxiety of not knowing if I should have anxiety or not was kind of like trumping. Oh gosh, it was crazy. But as I was waiting in that, um, for, to go in to do that, I was reading a magazine and there was a quote by Kesha, the musician, you know, the artist. And the quote was, um, in our darkest moments, we find our greatest strength. And like, I swear to you, like I, my faith has been rattled a gazillion times throughout this to a point where I can, um, not proudly say though, like it's really, it's, it's shaken and it's not, and it's very fragile. However, my spirituality is very strong. So take that for however, that's a whole other conversation probably, but meaning like I felt a little abandoned by God at times, but then I also felt like spiritually he met me where he could reach me. And I had like mm -hmm. things like, um, you know, like seeing this quote or later on meeting certain people at just the right time that I needed to hear something that like resonated with me. So like, I really believe in the power of that and the power of just the universe kind of aligning for you in a way that you need, not necessarily the way you want, but what you need. Right. So, 
um, I read that quote and I was sitting in that, in that tomb, laying in that tomb, going through that, the noises and all the stuff. And I just literally was saying to myself, and I said it over and over in your darkest moment, you find your greatest strength in your darkest moment. You find your greatest. Strength. I kept saying it over and over. And the longer I was in there, I found myself then going back towards like my running days and being like, okay, it was scary. I hated it. I was tired. I was overwhelmed. And I kept telling myself, you're at mile nine, mile nine sucks. Like you're almost to the finish. Keep going, keep going. Like you can do this. And so I feel like all, a lot of things that I did in my life previous were like setting me up for getting into this, you know? So I know that sounds weird, but there's just certain things that about me and my life, I changed a few years before that were like really serving me really well in in the moments, but um, after that long day or that during that long day towards the end that we had to meet with my surgeon and we didn't have all the results of the tests and she sat me down and I was exhausted through everything I had gone through that day. But she said to me, you know, we know you're not a stage zero and we can't rule out that you're not a stage four. And I, again, I sound like Miss Waterworks here, but I cried again. <laughs> and I was just like, how can this happen? I have three beautiful young kids. My children at that time were nine, six, and three. And my heart broke for my daughter who was nine. And obviously my son who was six. And then my baby who had just turned three, three years old. And thinking the fact that he might not have his mom around, like, I don't know. I couldn't, I just couldn't, I don't know that, that just, it still shakes me and it still makes me kind of crazy. And Um, sad and you know that that this is their reality even though I know that they've learned a lot and we've all grown together through this it still really hurts me that I had to kind of shake their um, feeling of security at such a young age that really bothers me as their mom but but yeah but we did it but anyway I I cried the whole way home from Sioux Falls that day and the reason I bring up all these tears is because it's kind of pivotal in what happened for me so I cried the whole way home and I just thought I'm gonna die like this is it like how did this happen I wasn't you know there's no reason for this to be happening I you know what is going on and um I went home put the kids to bed couldn't sleep again it was like two three in the morning I was wide awake pitch black out right or you know obviously it's dark and um I just I literally spoke out loud to myself, which I don't do often, but I've done a lot more during this journey. Um, but I kind of, I said like, okay, I have two choices. I can either, I felt like I was in this bottomless black pit. Like I was falling and it's, I vividly feel this, you guys. And it sounds cliche kind of, but this is what it felt like. Like I was in this black pit falling, falling, falling. I could not get out. Everything was getting worse and worse and worse. I didn't, I felt like helpless, hopeless, all of, all of it. I didn't know what to do. And I thought, okay, I can either keep falling down here and not be sleeping, not be being me, anything, or I can flip the narrative here a little bit and I can say, okay, this really sucks. It's really not fair, but I can, I can be in control of how I'm reacting to what's happening to me. I can't control that the scan's coming back that way. I can't control if I go in tomorrow and they tell me I have stage four and I may not live to see um, kindergarten for my youngest. I mean, I can't control that, but I can control how I show up to deal with it. I can control, um, my side of the narrative. You know, I have said a gazillion times through this whole journey that cancer does not define me, or I at least to say like, it won't define me. I feel like that was just like a way for me to be like, you can't have this. Like Mm -hmm. I'm here to do, you know, but I have changed my tune a little bit after going through so much that yeah, still cancer doesn't define me. But this experience, 
I'm kind of okay to let it define me. I'm kind of okay to let my, my ability to pull myself out of that really crappy place and my, and to keep pulling myself out of that place. I mean, not to say that I don't slip down there sometimes I still do. There's still things that are triggers, still things that make me go like, Oh gosh, it's really bad again. You know, but I continually to pick myself up and keep going. And I'm trying to be a good model for my kids. I'm trying to live a life that feels authentic to me. Those are all ways of me being in control and things that I can let that define me. Go ahead. Like, you know, come at me cancer. Like, cause I'm going to win this one. I don't care if, you know, what happens even going forward, I'm still winning this, this, this war. So anyway, so obviously the, the diagnosis came back, um, stage three, um, cancer. It had spread to my lymph nodes. So that prompted, obviously, initially I had to do chemotherapy right off the bat. Um, I met my oncologist who, um, his name is Dr. Jones and I just love him. I respect him. We are a great team and I am so grateful that he had just started there right when I was basically going. So it was like, again, one of those moments that like we were meant to be a team together. The first day I met him, or maybe it was the second day, I um, brought a book with me and the book was called The Obstacle is the Way by Ryan Holiday. And I had read it about a year or two before my diagnosis. And it's basically just saying what I said, like taking these challenges and obstacles and you change how you're going to perceive them. There's still, still obstacles, still something you got to take care of, but your mindset and how you approach it can really alter, I think, how you get through really hard times. And so I gave him that book, which at the time felt like just the right thing to do. Now I'm like, I was kind of a badass move. I was kind of proud that I did that, you know, because I said to him, I said, this, this is what I want. This is how I want to attack this. So I jumped into 20 weeks of chemotherapy. Um, chemo was on Fridays. And so that's where Killing It Friday came to be, which is the name of my blog, because we would be like, I would have like friends or be like, all right, it's Friday. You're going to, ki you're killing it this today or, you know, stuff like that. So Killing It Friday came from that. So that's kind of how I named my blog. Um, initially about, I don't know, three weeks into chemo, I did lose all my hair which was traumatic. I am not going to tell you that I liked being bald or I felt empowered being bald. I hated every second of it. And to, to the extreme of, and this is where I say, this was my choice in my journey. I didn't want anyone to even see me bald. Like I, I went out, I made, I had great friends that helped me figure this out. I found a kick-ass cancer wig. That's what I call it. I should have asked you if we could say those words on your blog or your, you can. <laughs> <We're sorry. laughs> um, but, but that was my goal. I literally, I literally Googled, I need a kick-ass cancer wig. And then I came up with where I, <laughs> I swear to God, like, true story. Um, so I found this place, um, close to me and I found one that looked exactly like my hair was, but probably even better to be honest with you. So it's kind of a win-win. Um, and I wore that all the time. I wore it to treatments. I wore it to work. I still work throughout this whole thing, you know, full time. I would say there's wow. maybe about four, four or five people that actually saw me without my wig on. And because to me, seeing myself bald made me feel sick and it made me feel really weak. <laughs> And it made me see cancer and see what it was taking from me. Now I look back at those pictures and I see power. I see strength. I see beauty. I didn't see that though then. And so that's where that perspective comes from and like getting through it and then being able to look, reflect and be like, okay. But I mean, for me to handle it, that's how I had to handle it. And when I showed up for chemo, I think I shared some of my, I wore my best outfits to chemo because I wanted to feel like on it. Like this is me. I mean, it was, it, I know you're envisioning me like in a ball gown right now, aren't you? <laughs>
but I did was like lipstick on, you know, outfit going wig on. Like I just, I just, that's how I did it. And I got through it. And honestly, I had some great moments in chemo with <laughs> sounds stupid with, um, I met some great nurses. I had great conversations with family and friends that took me, like there was some really wonderful moments, um, on week, uh, 19 of 20, I ran my, I think it was at that time, number my uh, six or seventh half marathon. Um, I had, I knew I run one every spring and I was not going to let this stop me. So I trained, it was ugly. It was slow. It was not <laughs> the way I would want to do it, but I did it. And at the time that didn't seem anything, um, important or special, because it was just me being me. Now I look back and I'm like, how did I do that? Like I was exhausted. I have no clue how I was able to make 13 miles, you know, after having, I had chemo like Friday and then I ran a half marathon on Sunday. So like, I don't know really how I did that, but I did. And it was, again, it was trying to keep things true to me and, you know, be myself and not let it consume me and take, take the best of me away. Like that was what I was afraid of. Um, so anyway, I got through chemo. I had about a month off because I needed to rebuild my immune system a little bit. I was going to have surgery. It was going to have a double mastectomy and reconstructive surgery all at once. Um, five days before that, I ran a Spartan race in Minneapolis because I had, I know it's so, it's so, I swear like now I'm like, oh my gosh, you were something. But at the time I just thought I was like being in control of some, what I could control, you know, and trying to like prove to myself, you still can do these things. Like, it's okay. Um, I had a great partner and I, I mean, it was a great experience. It just, it showed me how, um, just mentally strong I was forget physical. I mean, it, it was the mental part and it was just being and being and not giving up on things that were important to me. That was the other lesson. I was like, I can still, you know, fulfill what I want to have happen. So anyway, I did that. Um, five days later, I went into surgery and surgery was six hours came out of that fine. I was home healing for, and about, um, about five or six days into that, I started running a fever and we figured it was just, I caught a virus cause my immune system was down, you know, bad luck, which would make sense given my situation. And, um, what happened was over the last next couple of days, I, it was harder for me to breathe. I couldn't really get up. I wasn't eating or drinking. I had, um, late at night, I had told my husband, I really think I need to go to the emergency room just to get some fluids, you know, and see what's happening. I was trying to hold out until I was supposed to go for a follow-up visit at the cancer center. And, um, what ended up happening was I, I got in there and my pulse oxygen levels were like in the seventies and they're obviously supposed to be like way, way, way higher. My blood pressure was like 50 something over something. Like it was not where you have super low, um, they came and they said, you're in kidney failure. And if we don't get you somewhere soon, we're going to have to do dialysis. And I was like, what are you talking about? I just needed some like water. You know, I don't, I didn't know what was happening. So they put me in an ambulance and took me an hour and a half to Sioux Falls. And, um, I was there for about an hour and they said, you need to be in the, the ICU. Um, and the hardest part you guys was my parents. I, they showed up there at the hospital. And I remember right before I got transferred and I remember, looking at them and I could just see the pain and the worry and all that in their eyes. And to, it's really hard as, as the child also to see, like, I didn't want to put them through that. Like, I don't, you know, I don't know. It just, it just brings up so many things, I guess. So anyway, they put me in the ICU. I was in, um, I had multiple organ failures. So I was in heart failure, kidney failure, renal, renal failure. I had fluid around my heart and my lungs. So pneumonia, um, yeah, just a lot of things going wrong. And to this day, we don't really know why we don't know if it's just my immune system was really that shot after chemo. And I just couldn't like 
I mean, there was nothing wrong surgically. Like my surgical sites looked good. Like there was, I mean, it was just this weird fluky thing. And those moments in the ICU though, for me were probably the most um, significant, obviously it's a big deal, but of my life, because um, I never thought it would get that bad. <laughs> first of all, I never, that wasn't part of the plan. It wasn't supposed to happen. And in those moments, um, you know, I had to be alone a lot, obviously, because there was, it was really serious. And there was times where, you know, you, I don't know, some people, I think, think about their lives and probably feel, oh, but I had, I had a great life. And I do, I do have a great life, you know, nice, beautiful kids, you know, family. But I felt really, I felt disappointment and regret, not in necessarily what I had, but what I, what I really, I limited myself in doing like opportunities or, um, experiences or whatever. I just felt like I've, I lived too much of my life trying to do what others expected me to do. And maybe not so much what I was true to me or authentic to me. And so it, I and say in my blog a lot, I like to take that experience in my mind is how I visualize it. It's like, I can hold it in the palm of my hand, like right here. And I often want to hold it like right in front of my face and look at it like almost daily if I can, because it taught me this lesson of like, this is my second chance. Somehow I came out of that experience and I still don't know how I came out of it, but because some people could have the same thing and they wouldn't have made it. I did. So I look at that experience and I go, that taught me to take care of me. I mean, take care of others. Yes. But like, I need to take care of me in a way that I am still um, true to myself and all those other opinions of other people and expectations. Guess what? None of those people were next to me in those moments. Not a one. It was me. It was me in this, whatever higher power that I was trying to have conversations with, like, what am I supposed to do? So those moments, while they were also, they were lonely, they were scary, they were real, <laughs> they were life altering. They were so significant that I try to, I don't want to forget it. I know that sounds crazy. Like, I don't want to forget that trauma because it's helping me stay on course for what's true to me and not get distracted by you know, what other people my age are doing or what, you know, so-and-so is doing. I don't need to keep up with the Joneses because they don't matter when I'm in my deathbed. Like they're not there. So it's a matter of just me being me. So I came out of that situation, obviously. Well, um, I had, uh, eight weeks of duration, no walk mark, but it also wasn't as bad as all this other stuff. So I just kind of went with it and did it. Um, I then had to start a clinical trial because of my, I had 19 lymph nodes removed from my left side, 17 still had cancer after chemo. So when I had that surgery, it was kind of, they're like, why is that still there? So I had to do a clinical trial for about a year and a half. I just finished that trial in um, June, wow. which is really great because, because of COVID, I was really worried about my immune system and what would happen if I contracted it because I didn't have a normal healthy immune system. So finishing that in June was really exciting for me because I'm like, oh, thank you. Now I can like rebuild here a little bit and hopefully get better. And I have, and I've had multiple clear scans since then. Um, I still go in every month and have my uh, injections to suppress my ovaries because it was a hormone-based cancer. So basically I'm like in a chemical induced menopause, which menopause is no joke. I wish I, my, my next blast, once I figure it all out, I'm blasting that on my, my blog. So people can prepare yourselves. Like it's, there's so many learning curves that I'm like, wait, what is happening? Like, how can I, I don't know. It's, it, that's a whole nother topic too, but yeah. So I'm still learning things about, you know, and I have a, about where I'm at, where I'm going. Um, but I'm healthy. And I think in the process, I'm also just really trying to, um, shed light onto people. The biggest misconception, in my opinion, 
is that when you're done with treatment, your cancer journey is over. Like people kind of expect like you're done with radiation, you're done with chemo, good, move on, you know? And that is like, it is so far from the truth. I honestly got through that stuff. And that's when the emotional part came into play. Like I handled the physical stuff, but that emotional weight, that emotional trauma is really heavy stuff. And it's really, um, for me, I really needed to deal with it. And I went to an oncology-based therapist. I've done support groups. And that has been life-saving for me, like totally. So I, I think if, um, I knew I wasn't really ready for that level of support at certain times in my journey. Cause I was too busy trying to understand it for myself and kind of keep it under wraps and not because I didn't want anyone to know, but it was just like, I didn't understand it. I didn't know how I was going to handle it. And so I think I think there's power to sharing your stories, but I think there's also power. Sometimes you need to keep it to yourself because you're figuring it out and you shouldn't feel like you have to share it unless you really are at a point where that's fulfilling to you and that is meaningful to you. And, and I think the other thing too is, um, as you guys both know, we're not sharing our stories to be like, oh, look at me, <laughs> ask me questions, but we're mm -hmm. sharing our stories because it's like, we want people to not feel alone. We want people to feel like if you are going through this, you're not by yourself. I felt very alone oftentimes through my journey and not because I didn't have friends and family because I had no one that really had gone through what I have been going mm -hmm. through at my age or in my circumstance. So to know that there's someone there, um, like that is so powerful. And I think there's just, and these conversations I think are so important because they just make us feel connected and you're not like out there dealing with your own trauma and crap on your own like you have the support of people and i people that really really get it i mean i just think that's so necessary and so important and so that's kind of um where i'm at now is just trying to really be as helpful and <clears throat> empowering and um just also just yeah true to myself and what i've been through and what i can keep learning from this because lord knows there's a whole bunch <laughs> that i'm just happen into. So that's a lot. I'm sorry. That's a really long story. And I probably didn't even cover all of it, but <laughs> it was amazing. It was so, so great. Honestly, I'm with you 100%. And, and Nikki feels the same way, sharing our darkest moments and how we overcame them. That's what we're doing. And that, that is how people connect because life is hard for everybody. I think it's really interesting. You know, when you talked about, um, wanting to, present yourself a certain way when you showed up to these things like you didn't want to see yourself as sick that is so important I am a huge believer that the mind body and soul are so closely connected like in my life in my you know lower 20s or whatever I made myself physically ill from from my thought processes and what I was going through and my woe is me moments I was physically sick all the time and you know our energy is so so powerful you know we can't see it they've done they've done studies you know they will take two apples and they'll put them in two separate rooms that have the same atmosphere the same lighting the same temperature and what they did was they spoke sweetly and softly to one apple mm. and they like spoke to the apple and gave it these uplifting affirmations and this apple just thrived in the other room with the same atmosphere same temperature everything they yelled and, and just said horrible, nasty, negative things to this apple. And it shriveled up like the energy that was given to these apples in the same place made one thrive versus shrivel up. And that's bizarre, but that's, that's, it's, it's so 
real and so true that the way that you presented yourself in that moment and you were like, I'm going to wear a wig, I'm going to wear my lipstick, I'm not going to see myself as sick, that could have saved your life right there. I mean, that's just amazing what you did. And you know, and I still, and I feel like I still, and so that's the other thing, like, I love that. I love that whole, that, that suddenly makes so much sense to me because even now on this side of things for me, it's like, I still can slide down that hole and look at myself as broken or look at myself as, okay, there's a scar or there's this, or there's that. And I have, I guess I've become good at though, flipping it around and being like, all right, if that means I need to like do something different with my hair or I just, for me, look good, feel good goes a long ways now. And that's where I was saying earlier, not everybody feels that way. Some people will show up like in their jammies and their, their scarf. Yeah. And I think, <laughs> but I mean, you know, us. <laughs> I, sure. I mean, there's merit to that too. It's just, I think you have to figure out for you, like in those moments, what is going to make you feel capable or powerful or, or what's going to help you just get through it. I mean, that's where it's at. And I, so I feel like, yeah, for me, it was, I need to fulfill that, that good self-talk. And I still have to do that because I think my default is to go to you're sick, you're broken, you're, you know what I mean? So I always, even now, like I'm, like I said, going through like this chemical induced menopause, my workouts have to change. And I'm like, but your body's different. I want to get back. Like I have to flip the narrative, be like, okay, but you're healthy yeah, you got some work to do, but let's, let's figure it out in a good way. And not like, cause it's too easy to jump down that negative rabbit hole and just, you know, get stuck there. But yeah, yeah. I'm going to quote that study. I like that one. That makes a lot of sense. I, I'll, I'll dig up the link. Yes. I, I'll, I'll link it. I'll post it. I'll send it to you guys. Yeah. Pretty cool. Yeah. Really amazing. Uh, yeah. Mia, that, so you just like inspired me. Um, <laughs> Yeah, <laughs> a lot of things came up for me that my spiritual advisor has been like basically shoving down my throat and trying to get me to understand uh, through my recovery. And a couple of the things that I thought were amazing, I like wrote them down. <laughs> when you're talking about having two choices, right? You can uh, you can go down this path of feeling broken and why me and all of those things, or like you said, flip the narrative. And my spiritual advisor has been saying this to me to like take the action stay out of the result. And then, uh, for example, and this is by no means even compared to your story (laughs) at all. Um, but like COVID hit and then all of my circumstances changed, right? I have my kids at home and I'm trying to run a business, all these things. And I was like distraught. And I I realized this is not compared (laughs) to your story. It is is because it's about dealing with it and how to, yeah. yeah. And so she's like, she's like, listen, Nikki, you're going to go through it. This is something you're going to go through. Now you get to choose how you go through it. You can go through it in a positive manner, you know, be proactive, find things that work, blah, blah, or you can play the victim, sit in self-pity and, you know, have a shitty time, you know, like, and I I feel like that goes with all circumstances. It's little petty things. Like I had a little, you know, hissy fit over with COVID and having my kids home, which now I look back and like, that's a blessing. I don't spend right. enough time with them. You know? right, right. Um, or like near death experiences like yours, you, you are, you get to choose how you go through it. Mm-hmm. And like Beck said, that seriously probably saved your life on the way that you chose to show up in the world and you chose to be because mindset 
is huge. It's funny because I was I just posted this um, uh, thing on social media today about what I do with my daughter every morning. And as I'm putting her ponies in her hair and she hates it because I don't know how to do hair, as you can tell by how I look. And, and then we stand and we do affirmations. And I'm like, Reagan, who's pretty? You know, when she smiles at herself and and telling her she's worth it and she's God's girl and all of these things that I want her to be able to, the society is tough and people are mean and being able to be okay with yourself and who you are and show up authentically like you're talking about and not caring about the opinions of others is huge. My spiritual advisor has to tell me that all the time. She's like, literally the opinions of others are none of your business, whether they are good opinions because that can boost my ego or if they're negative opinions because really who's going to be there when you're in the ICU or when you need something not those not the haters I mean really they're they're nowhere to be found they are I can tell you from experience they are nowhere to be found you're you're right set yeah you were totally right and you know the thing that's funny is I look back at those moments or even how I am now and like it could, it could appear to be like kind of superficial or self-absorbed or whatever, but I know because I'm not worried about what they think. I know that it is life-saving it's necessary. And it's the way I am trying to just positively go about my life and keep going on my journey again, as authentically as I can. And so I think it's, it's so Yeah. It's, and I think that's where I've told this to my friends too, because like, it's, you know, the thing about having these experiences at my age, it's like most people are having these, these realizations when they're like, what, you know, maybe 60, 70, like older. Right. And I'm having them here 39, 40, 40, like this age. And so it sets me apart from my peer group quite a bit, but so I'm constantly telling my friends, I'm like, you guys, that little tiff that that social circles have it it does not matter you know I'm kind of the annoying one that's like just don't worry about it it's okay focus on you know and I'm I'm grateful for those lessons I'm grateful that I can live my life differently now and and when I say like being authentic to us us that are ourselves I don't mean like we don't care about other people obviously we still want to be compassionate and empathetic I think I'm even more empathetic to people than I ever have I've always has been but even you know times a gazillion now but Um, I think we can still, I think we can show up for people even better having lived through our experiences and our difficulties because like, we don't want to see anyone else going through that pain or if they are, we want them to know that they're not alone, you know? So I feel like, and then, and some of these things that I've done, they're just tricks along the way that work for me. Like, and maybe they'll work for you too. Like, that's kind of how I look at it, you know? So, yeah. I love it. Yeah. You're literally amazing. Oh, I um, it's hard for me to hear that still. I'm like, no, I'm just, I'm just normal. I'm. <laughs> <there's> not- <laughs> it feels good though. We're boosting your ego. And okay, you thank it. you. Um, <laughs> I, I literally want to. I get so absorbed in. I do get absorbed in how others view me, and I've said this on another podcast. I think it was Katie's podcast on worrying about others instead of uh, me and my own, like my own. Um, and I've, I'm starting to break out of that shell now and look at experiences. And, you know, like last weekend, I took my kids to Sioux Falls just randomly because stop working and just get out, like go, not viewing the world in Sioux Falls, but like go make experiences because tomorrow, you know, the the work that I'm doing, these stupid things can seriously wait. What's more important now? And I, I am also grateful that 
I have a lot of people that have been telling me their stories and I can start to maybe see that a little bit more and, you know, start living, start living my life instead of waiting until something traumatic happens to start living. Like we don't have to wait until a near death experience or some, something happens to one of our family members to live. Yep. I've said on my blog probably multiple times, I think like, don't wait for the bottom to fall out from under you. Like I did like learn, learn from others. Think about your life, like live the way you want. I mean, tomorrow's not promised for any of us. And I think that it's at such a, and I know it's all cliche to hear this, but you guys, it's like, I didn't expect to be there. I never expected that cancer. I didn't expect to be in the ICU. I didn't expect for these really bad things to happen. And I didn't, tomorrow wasn't promised. So you know, when I go to, um, you know, when my son graduated from preschool, it sounds silly to say, but preschool, I'm sobbing because I'm like, oh my gosh, I'm here to see yeah. this. And I hope more people can feel like that because it's, it's so, I mean, you just feel it to your core. I mean, even now, like I, I run outside a lot and I'm outside and I see like, I don't know. Cause I saw like a whole bunch of deer yesterday and I'm like, oh, they're there. They're for me. Like, I feel, I mean, I see these magical moments in these really mundane things that most people don't see. And I'm grateful for, I know that sounds so goofy, but no, it's, it's gratitude, true gratitude. Beautiful thing. It is. And it's like, so those are all wonderful things. My hope is that other people could like see that too and understand that too, not without having to go through the icky parts, you know, like just, yeah like enjoy that. So yeah. Yeah. Not only Mia, um, you didn't talk about this yet and I wanted you to touch base on it. The, um, the angel squad. Yeah. So, um, I was really inspired when COVID not, okay. When COVID hit, obviously as a cancer survivor too, I was like, are you kidding me? I was just at a point where I was like living, like I was on a getting, going to go to LA for a conference and all this stuff, like excited to go. And then it got canceled the night before I was supposed to go because of COVID. So like literally my life went from like, I am traveling and having fun and doing stuff to like, okay, now immune compromised person stay home. Like it was terrible, but (laughs) Anyway, in that experience, I kind of was, I thought, okay, so again, one of two ways I can sit here and, you know, complain and, oh, this is so terrible, la la la, or I can make good use of my time. And I was, I saw like a tweet or something and it was talking about how Shakespeare or whoever wrote like King Lear or something during the plague of whatever. So like, it was like, if you can do that, you can do something during COVID. And I said, yes, I can. So I developed this thing called Angel Squad. And the whole premise behind it is just, you know, like I said earlier in these really tough moments, a lot of times I felt really alone and I, I don't want that to sound like I'm not grateful for my friends and family. Cause I love them, but I was very, you're, you're the one getting the chemo pumped into your body. You're the one laying on that operating table, operating table, waiting for your surgery. You're the one in the ice, you know, it's like, it's happening to you. And a lot of people can't relate. And, um, any, most of the survivors that I would have contact with were either much older than me or like the, I, I remember in radiation, I was like, I think I sent a Snapchat to one of my friends. I'm like, okay, like I'm looking around here and I'm like the youngest one by like 30 years in here. Like what is going on? You know, it was just, I mean, I tried to find humor wherever I could through this whole thing. Cause that's obviously what kept me going too. But, um, but no, for that effect, like, I just felt like this, the weird elephant in the room so many times, like, you know, how did she get cancer? It's, and I did do genetic testing and that was, there's nothing there. This was just this random thing, you guys. So it just happened. But 
So anyway, with all that said, my idea behind Angel Squad was um, no one fights alone. No one fights alone. Everyone, there's someone there for you. Even when you feel like no one gets you, no one is there. Like <laughs> I am here, this community that I've kind of been developing on Killing It Friday, which has been really great. I've had people reach out to me that are like, hey, you know, I'm going through, you know, chemo a second time or someone saying, hey, my husband is really struggling. He started going through, you know, he was diagnosed. Like it's, it's just those connections have been so powerful for me. And I also think, I think from what they're reading that I put out there, they're feeling it too, because we're getting some good dialogue and conversation. So um, really Angel Squad is as easy on my website, www.killingitfriday.com. Um, there's the blog, obviously. And I just, I try to write two to three times a month, the so different things. And I was at one point, I thought I was going to, when I first started, I thought I'm going to run out of things to say. I haven't run out of things to say yet. We're going like, <laughs> strong, so I'm kind of amazed, but um, there is a tab at the top and this is angel squad. And all you have to do is um, type in uh, who, and it's, if you feel like you want me to connect with you or, you know, someone, and I uh, send out like a card, a little sticker that you can put somewhere with you. Like when you're going to chemo, like on your mug or whatever, um, just, so just some inspirational things to kind of, and notes just to make you feel like, you know, I we're here. There's a, there's a whole squad of people here and I have met some great souls through my survivor groups too. And they are all kind of, I consider them as part of my squad too. And we're just all there to raise each other up and like help each other and acknowledge that you're hurting and it's hard and it's not fair. It's, you know, and it, I guess for me, it's taking it one step further than just saying thoughts and prayers. It's like literally trying to do something yeah. to meet them and be there for them. And I have just been, um, it's, it's, it's just getting going. She's just taken flight, I guess, if you will. Um, cause I just started, I think I launched it. I don't even know, like maybe April or May. So it's just getting going, but like, I'm really loving, the connections that I'm making and like, and getting it out to people. So that's been really fun. And I just, um, again, trying not to be, it's not self-serving. It's just so that people feel, and I think I should say too, I'm not just sending it to cancer survivors. I've had people that have logged on that. I feel like the thing about my blog is yes, my trauma is cancer, but my experiences hopefully can relate yes. to a lot of other things. So just kind of like, and that's why I feel kind of like after listening to you guys, when you guys are doing your, you know, your stories, I can relate to you, not because I've had the same things happen, but because I've, we've all had to kind of deal with something hard and dig ourselves back out of it and keep going. Right. And so, um, so I've had people that have totally other things happening in their life and still reaching them because the, still the premise is no one fights alone. Like you are not alone. I'm here to help you. I, we all have, um, yeah, the, I think there's strength in numbers and strength when you know that people get you and, um, are there for you, whether you know them or not. Right. <laughs> Cause if yeah. I didn't know, I still feel your strength and I still feel like I'm learning from you. Um, so yeah, so that's angel squad and it's just been, I don't know, I'm, I'm really proud of it and I'm really happy to just, I want it to go further because I want more and more people to be able to feel that sense of community and that sense of, um, just that help is there. Strength is there. And the whole thing is, I always say, um, you know, the idea was um, sometimes your wings feel really heavy, right? And you don't really feel like you can fly. So we're here to give you one of ours or both of ours, if you need it to help your, your wings and get going. So that's kind of the whole, why the angel and the wings and all that kind of stuff. Cause that was just something that resonated with me going through treatment. Like I said, my, my, 
my faith what had I'm working on it but like angels I got like that I felt like there was angels that had my back this whole time so like yeah. I'll, that's kind of where I've gone with that whole direction it just it resonates with me it makes sense and just trying to be there for anybody so and also I guess the other thing I would add too is I've, I've had some really great experiences um, with some really great support groups too so um, young survival coalition is for young breast cancer survivors I think that's a really important one um, Im Immerman Angels, they hook you up with a mentor if you really, who's someone who's going wow. through a similar battle that you are. I've been a part of both those organizations. I think they're really great. Um, I also, um, Elephants and Tea is a great um, young survivor, cancer survivor, like magazine. They have a social media influence, digital and also print magazines. Those are all great resources. And I just hope people know that they're out there and to use them. I, I kind of wish I would have seized some of those things earlier on in my journey, but I just didn't know about them. So I think they're there. Is there any like lasting thoughts that you could give the listener on out of everything you said, you gave us like 9 million pieces of advice, right? I, know, um, I have a feeling right? I know what you're going to say here, That's but what is one, one piece of advice that you would leave the listener with as they, you know, like a call to action from moving forward here? I think the biggest thing, to be honest, is you are so much more capable than you give yourself credit for. And I think um, when I see that makes me want to cry, because when I first, oh. you know, I think back to those moments where I literally said, I can't do this. I can't do this. Like, I mean, I, you guys, I, I really meant I can't do this. I thought I, there's no way you did um, it. I did it and I'm still doing it. I'm still, yeah, we're still doing it. And so I, and I, and it's kind of like when I said too, when I look back at those pictures in those moments, I did not give that girl enough credit. I, I mean, I look at her now and I'm like, how did I do that stuff? Like, how did I run those races? How did I show up right. in that way? Like, how did I have this drive? And some of it was probably, you know, fight or flight mode or whatever, but, <laughs> but I think a lot of it was just me trying to be true to me. So I guess the, the combination of you are so capable and also just be true to you, you know, do you like, don't do like, don't do me or don't do, you know, one of you guys like do you do what makes sense to you. And I don't think you'll fail. I think you will, mm -hmm. I think you will thrive. And I think you will find out things about yourself that maybe you didn't want to find out, but yet they're really <laughs> empowering. And like, it's really, I mean, like, I wish I didn't have to go through all that to figure this stuff out, but I did. Yeah. And I think it's changed my life and it's changed the way that I'm going to go forth in this second chance of living that I have. And I'm not going to take it for granted and I'm just going to embrace it all. That was Mia's incredible, incredible story on surviving breast cancer. I cried four times. I think I'm still <laughs> crying right now. Don't forget to check out Mia's blog, www.killingitfriday.com and check out the Angel Squad if you could use more encouragement or if you need to be uplifted. So thank you so much, Mia.